We are in an Advent series we are calling Songs of Christmas. We are seeing some of the praise that surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ. And today's song is a very short one. And so today we'll give a bit more attention to the context and the surrounding verses. Let me pray for the Holy Spirit's illuminating work, and then Mindy will read our passage. Spirit of God, would you fill us now and grant us to behold wondrous things out of your word. Open the eyes of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mindy. 
Have you ever noticed the difference a change in perspective can make? Like when you're on an airplane on a cloudy, dreary day, and then you take off and you get above the clouds and it's blue sky and sunshine just like it is here. All that's changed is your perspective, your view. Or maybe when you're fighting traffic in San Diego and then you drive over to Mission Trails and you climb up Cowles Mountain and then you look down on the beauty of San Diego, there's no frustration of traffic. It's just the beauty of San Diego. All that's changed is your perspective, your viewpoint. That's what we so often need in life, isn't it? Today, many are experiencing what's been called the COVID malaise. Offices remaining empty, schools trying to regain some normalcy, empty shelves because of supply lines you never knew existed, inflation hitting its highest levels in decades. I read it was recently reported that blood pressure me measurements of one half a million people have showed a significant rise in one year. Half a million people, their blood pressure is significantly higher over the past year. Our, our collective blood pressures are rising. It often seems we are more tense, maybe more easily angered, more impatient, and not just because of the pandemic. All kinds of things raise our blood pressure and discourage our hearts. Disappointment in life, people letting you down, fears, worries, anxieties, sin, sickness, disease, even the grief over the death of a friend or family member. There might be many reasons for you to experience a kind of malaise this morning. What is it for you? What's maybe weighing you down? Christmas, friends, Christmas offers a needed change in perspective. Christmas can take you above the clouds, put you up on the mountaintop for that change of viewpoint. That's what we find in this passage. By way of contrast, it's a passage of contrast between what I would call a heavenly perspective on Christmas and a merely human perspective. So think of this passage as an invitation, an invitation to experience that kind of change of perspective that we need by way of that contrast. So first, first the human perspective on Christmas, and by that I mean the merely human, the merely human perspective on Christmas. Verse one, again, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, his entire empire, should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the Roman emperor is Caesar Augustus, meaning Caesar the exalted, Caesar the majestic, the most powerful man on earth, ruling over the vast Roman Empire, wielding his great power, deciding one day, you know, I think I'll call for a census, probably for the purposes of taxation. Some things never change. 
A census means, as we read, that everyone needs to go back to their own ancestral hometown. So a guy named Joseph takes his fiancée, Mary, about 70 miles up to the town of Bethlehem, verse 4. Joseph, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. The city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he, Joseph, was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. They traveled to the little town of Bethlehem. From a merely human perspective, it's a rather humble town. A rather meaningless place, except here it is called the city of David. David, to whom God made an astounding promise that from his line a king would reign forever. The prophet Micah alluded to that promise in Micah chapter 5, saying, O Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, God says. One who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That king from David's line he will come from Bethlehem. So catch, catch the irony in this scene. Catch the irony from a merely human perspective. The Roman emperor thinks he's wielding his great power, calling for a census. But he's really just a pawn. A pawn in God's hands being used to get Joseph and Mary up to Bethlehem before the baby arrives so the words of the prophet Micah can be fulfilled. Have you ever gone to maybe a major city or another country and seen on the street vendors selling NFL jerseys or NBA jerseys or maybe Rolex watches? Have you seen that? And they're all at amazing prices. And you think, how can this be? Well, it can be because they are fakes. They are knockoffs. Fakes pretending to be authentic. Caesar, the exalted one, is kind of like that in this contrast. Kind of a knockoff king. From a human perspective, he is ruling over his vast empire, exercising his mighty sovereignty, while the ultimate king is exercising his almighty sovereignty. You know, just as a side note, a side lesson, we should glean that human rulers and human governments, they do make real decisions. They play a real role in this world, but, but compared to God's sovereign rule over this world, they are much more like a knockoff than the real thing. Friends, let us not ascribe too much power and too much importance to merely human leaders particularly as we realize who was now coming on the scene. Verse 6. Verse 6. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. From a merely human perspective, this is a very ordinary scene, a most humble scene. A child laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. Maybe he's born in a stable, some say a cave, might be a kind of home where people and animals shared the same space. We really don't know with certainty, but as Leon Morris puts it, we know only that everything, everything points to poverty, obscurity, and even rejection. Friends, poverty and obscurity meet the human eye here. Poverty and obscurity from a merely human perspective. I want to ask you, is that all you see here? Is that what you see right now? Every year, it seems to me, it hits the news at some point that baby Jesus has been stolen from some manger scene somewhere and the plea goes out for little baby Jesus to be returned. You know, just please, please bring back Jesus so we can put him back. Christmas is about this helpless little baby. Is that all you see here? Here's how you can know. If perhaps you've come down with a case of what one writer calls apathyism, combining apathy and theism, or apathy and the things of God. Apathyism says of Christmas, what's the big deal? Apathyism says of Christmas, I know that already. I've heard that before. Little baby surrounded by farm animals. Teens or kids, is that how you're thinking this morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby in a manger. I, I know that already. I've heard this story a million times. Is that what you're thinking right now? Same old story. Do you have some apathyism about this? That's where Christmas wants to change your perspective. That's where this passage now wants to take you above the clouds and put you on the mountaintop to see this scene very differently. So friends, in contrast to that merely human perspective, now take a look at Christmas from the heavenly perspective. The heavenly perspective provided by the angels. You could sum up, you could sum up the angelic heavenly perspective with two words, praise and peace, praise and peace. Verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. An angel shows up and his first audience in this society is an unimpressive one. A bunch of shepherds, regular guys out during the night doing their job. Yet God's visible radiance shines around them and it says they are filled with great fear. We would be too. Angels try to be helpful in these situations. So this angel says in verse 10, fear not. 
I think that is utterly useless in that moment. <laughs> Fear not. Like, sure, buddy. Fear not, for behold, notice verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not little joy. Great joy. Good news of great joy joy for all the people as represented by these ordinary folk, these shepherds. Friends, good news of great joy given the heavenly perspective on the identity of this child. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 11 is the only place in the New Testament where these three terms are used together. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The baby is a Savior, one who saves, one who rescues from peril or danger. He is Christ. Greek for anointed one, or from the Greek, anointed one, meaning Messiah, long-promised deliverer, that king, really, from David's line, and here, Lord. Now, that word Lord could be used as a sign of respect, like sir, but when you read Lord, ascribed to Jesus, much, much more is being said. We've already seen this, in fact, in Luke's gospel. In chapter 1, verse 16, the angel Gabriel speaks of many turning to, quote, the Lord their God. The Lord their God. Same word. Chapter 1, verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, speaking of God himself. Chapter 1, verse 68, Zechariah says, blessed be or praise be the Lord God of Israel. Friends, over 6,000 times in the New Testament, Lord is a title for God himself, translating the Old Testament personal name for God, Yahweh. Now, here in our passage, the inspired author, Luke, uses the same title for this baby in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now he tells us the angels say, this is a Savior, Christ the Lord. The heavenly perspective, the angelic perspective, informs us that this is none other than God come in the flesh, fully human and fully God. All of the attributes of deity clothed in our humanity, fullness of God, lying in a feeding trough, Sustainer of the universe, wearing swaddling cloths. As the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once put it, it is a miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infant. Miracle of miracles, friends, in this passage. Miracle of miracles. The infinite as an infant. So, 
How should we respond? With that heavenly perspective on this child, how should we respond? Well, that's what the angels now show us next. Verse 13. And suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, a kind of army of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here is our Christmas song this morning. It begins with the familiar words in the Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest or in the highest place in heaven. The angels, the angels are rejoicing in God's glory, rejoicing in God's majesty through their praise. That's what happens when we get a changed perspective on Christmas. Praise in response to this child. I was thinking about when we lived in Illinois, we would go camping in Wisconsin, this beautiful peninsula that juts out into Lake Michigan alongside of Green Bay. One time we were driving home and I looked across this little bit of water and someone was shooting off fireworks. There's a little poof of red, a little poof of green, little poof of blue, not nice fireworks. But behind them was this most spectacular sunset, this gorgeous upper Midwest sunset, this glorious sky, and they're setting off poof, <laughs> poof. And I thought, isn't that how we are? Isn't that how I am? Enamored by a little poof of color, while amazing splendor and majesty is right behind me. We just have to turn around and see it. That's the change of perspective perhaps we need this moment. Let me ask you, what, what are the fireworks grabbing your attention right now? It might be a good thing, maybe a very fine thing. The latest car, a perfectly decorated home, acceptance to the college you want to attend, a new job, a promotion, a raise, a longed-for marriage, a better marriage, better health. None of those are wrong. Some are fine things, really good things, but they can, listen, they can become the basis of our praise. I get that thing, I praise God. I lose that thing, I don't praise Him. And the angel's song is saying to us, oh, Tab, turn around and behold greater glory. Turn around and see greater splendor, a bigger, grander, more majestic vision. The King of all in a feeding trough. The Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one, the Savior in swaddling cloths, the infinite as an infant. Friends, when that engages your heart, when that captures your attention, 
you will, like the angels, respond with awe and wonder and praise. It will be for you good news of great joy. And notice why. Notice why in this song we have such reason to praise. The angelic song continues in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace for those on whom God's favor rests. Now, peace for these Jewish shepherds was probably the idea of shalom or well-being. No COVID malaise. No malaise of any kind. Nothing to raise your blood pressure or depress your heart. Perfect well-being. But at the heart of this peace is peace with God. At the heart of this peace is harmony with God, reconciliation between God and us. But how? How, we should ask, when we see that peace, we should ask, how can this be? Well, were we to read the rest of Luke, we would see the baby grows up. He lives a perfect life. He's arrested on trumped-up charges, condemned in a sham trial, crucified as a base criminal. And for some, that's all they see. From a human perspective, a wasted life. But he went to that cross not for his own sins, for he had none. He went for ours. He went for yours and mine to achieve, friends, to achieve this peace, to, to purchase reconciliation between God and all who believe. Have you had that change of perspective yet? Do you know that peace personally? Peace with God himself. Charles Simeon Charles Simeon was an influential Anglican in the late 1700s, early 1800s. In his college years at Cambridge, he, he came under conviction of sin. He realized he was guilty before a holy God, but didn't know what to do about it. And then he says, it came to him in a flash. Simeon thought of the Jewish feasts in the Old Testament where the people's sin was symbolically transferred to an animal. And he said, quote, I realize I can transfer all my guilt to another. I will not bear it on my soul a moment longer. I sought to lay my sins upon the sacred head of Jesus. And on the Wednesday before Easter, he said, I began, I began to have hope of mercy. On the Thursday, that hope increased. On Friday and Saturday before Easter, it became more strong. And on Sunday morning, Easter morning, he says, I awoke with those words upon my heart and lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. From that hour, he says, from that hour, peace, peace 
flowed in rich abundance into my soul. He had the peace of God because, friends, he now had peace with God. That's what's view in, verse, in view in verse 14. Peace with God. Peace richly flowing in abundance in your soul. Your guilt taken away. Your sins atoned for because the baby in the manger is the Savior, Christ the Lord. If you've yet to have that change of perspective, that change of mind, if you've yet to turn to Christ and trust only in Christ for this peace with God, I want to urge you to do so right now. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're a young person listening to me and you have a significant case of apathyism. I want to urge you to change your perspective. Eternity. Eternity is at stake for you, young person. Flee to Christ by faith. Know this peace with God. And this will be for you personally good news of great joy. But maybe, maybe you're here and you are already a Christian. And yet, truth be told, you're not living in the good of this peace. That happens to all of us, doesn't it? This good news becomes sort of a lesser joy for some reason. Sometimes we're not living in the good of this peace. Dane Ortland writes of a Boston Globe article a few years ago highlighting ways that different communities were celebrating Maundy Thursday, that Thursday before Easter. But instead of the hope of mercy that Charles Simeon spoke of, men in a town in the Philippines were kneeling before a church building, their shirts off, and their backs bloodied because they were engaging in self-flagellation. They were whipping themselves, beating themselves to atone for their sins. Now we can hear of that and think, how ridiculous! Self-flagellation to take away your sins. But friends, that's not very different from what many Christians do. Not literally beating yourself, but internally doing so. Maybe you've been doing that this week. Reliving your guilt. Reliving your sense of shame. Playing it over and over in your mind like a YouTube video on repeat. Although those sins have already been transferred to the sacred head of Jesus. It's as if you are taking them off the sacred head of Jesus back onto your own head. You are trying to, as it were, forgive yourself. And you say things like, I can't forgive myself. Can, can I say something to you with all love and care? Friend, self-forgiveness is a form of self-flagellation. Trying to forgive yourself is making yourself the Savior we're reading about. 
Self-forgiveness is not the pathway to this peace. It is not the pathway of good news and great joy. Christ, Christ has accomplished this peace in your place once and for all. Christian, listen, you cannot add to this peace purchased at the cross of Christ. You cannot improve upon this peace that Jesus Christ achieved at his death and resurrection. Nor can you detract, nor can you detract from this peace by your failures. You cannot diminish this peace accomplished by Jesus. This achievement of his peace is outside of you, untouchable by you. That's the change of perspective you must have as well. Realizing that when Christ said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. That's what Christmas is about. That's where the manger's heading to. I don't know what might be causing your malaise today. I don't know what's been raising your blood pressure or depressing your emotions. But this song, this Christmas song in verse 14 connects Christ's birth with his cross and resurrection. And as you make, friends, as you make that connection, you too will praise. Christmas again will be good news of great, great joy. So, very simply, remember this piece to renew your praise. Remember the achievement of this peace to renew your joy. Stay close, friends. Stay close to the peace Christ has achieved. Not distracted by the little fireworks, but turning around this entire Advent series to see the greater glory right behind you. Stay close to the peace Christ has achieved that you might praise like the angels and like a preacher from the early 20th century named R.G. Lee. I want to read a lengthy quote. I want you to take in this praise, to turn around as I read this and behold the majesty of Christ incarnate, crucified, and resurrected. R.G. Lee wrote, The Ancient of Days had become the Infant of Days. From heights of glory to depths of shame. From exaltation to humiliation. From the throne in heaven, from the throne to the tree, the cross. From dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place. In Bethlehem, he says, in Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined. Humility and glory in their extremes were joined. Born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty. No room for him who made all rooms. No place for him who made and knows all places. 
Oh, deep humiliation of the Creator. Born of the creature, woman. But, listen, in His descent was the dawn of mercy, that peace. In His descent, in His incarnation, in His descent was the dawn of mercy because we cannot ascend to Him. He descended to us. That, friends, is the change of perspective we must have. Better than an airplane taking you above the clouds. Better than the view from Cal's Mountain. Remember the peace of Christmas and so renew your praise right now. Let's pray together and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Would you join me though in taking a moment to quiet your heart and maybe consider what, what good fireworks have most captured your heart to instead behold the glory of this Savior, Christ the Lord, and what he has accomplished for you. And if you've yet to trust in Christ, I urge you, I plead with you, humble yourself before him. Surrender to this king. Trust in his life, death, and resurrection. Be with him to take away your sins and bring you to God that you might know this peace with God. And he will. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. <laughs> thank you for this good news. I pray again it would be for me good news of great joy. I pray it would be for all my hearers today good news of great joy. The greatest joy we can imagine. The glorious display of majesty in Savior Christ the Lord being born to bring us such a peace. Help us to respond always with great praise. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.